welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. All right, so we have uh, Miss, you know, it's a confusing life that I live. Uh, we have Cindy. Cindy is the only one physically present that has a question that they want the whole world to know about. God bless you for your boldness and your courage. After all these messages that, that I've been preaching on being a hero and being bold and being courageous, I got Cindy, Cindy. Was was a little, um, I, I don't know, um, discouraged over what happened this week okay. um, in in the um, elections and stuff. I really was expecting something different. Okay, and um, I would love your point of view on this. <laughs> All right, I might as well just go sit down because this is going to take the rest of service and. That's a big question. <laughs> Amen. All right, there's a there's quite a few. I don't obviously talk about this stuff very much in a in a public format. A lot of these conversations that I have with people generally are pers on a personal level. And so there's probably a ton of people in here that I've never had these kind of personal uh, conversations with you. And so this would be a great opportunity for me to give you some, some general doctrines that I have in this regard. So obviously what Cindy Cindy's talking about is there was a lot of talk about a red wave and a lot of good people being elected and going into office and, and having a, a sweep of the house and having a pretty big majority. It was speculated 54 to 55 of the senators would be Republican and a bunch of these people were like fire-breathing righteous folk and, and it didn't happen. In fact, I woke up, well, I didn't, it wasn't the first thing, I beat the email, but I got an email this morning at some point from, I think it was Epoch Times, that said that the Senate might not even flip. You know, it, it went from maybe 55 to 45, actually 43, because two people are independents in the Senate. So 55 to 43 to, it might now be 50-50. Like, how does that happen? How does that many people, that many polls, that many pundits, that many speculators, that many, you could have bet in Vegas on what was going to happen in this election, and it was big money. So there, Vegas got rich again, or continually. So here's, let, let, me, let me try to 
breathe some life into this for those of you that are disheartened. So firstly, every single buddy in here, whether, whether you like politics or not, whether you care about things going on in the government or not, is irrelevant to the fact that you have a responsibility to love your neighbor. And government has more of a touch on your neighbor's life than oftentimes you do. And so if you truly, honestly love your neighbor, you should care about how much the government is causing damage, hurt, or pain, or hands off. I talked to an 85-year-old guy, maybe older, he might have been 90, and he said, back in my day, Democrat, Republican, there wasn't a whole lot of difference. We both had the same opinion. Here's the government's job. Pave the streets, deliver the mail, stay off my porch. That is a ton deeper than it sounds. But it's absolutely true. Pave the roads, deliver the mail, stay off my porch. I'd add a third one in there, make sure the military keeps people out of our front yard. That's the government's job. Like, leave us alone. We'll do life. We got a king. We have a lord. We have, a, we have scriptures. We have the spirit of God. We know how to figure out life. Those people that ain't got none of that stuff, if you give us enough permission, we'll still influence spiritually the environments and keep bad people from doing bad stuff or we'll lock them up. Totally fine. That is not the, the country that we live in right now. The country that we live in is overtly oppressive and tyrannical. Overtly. It used to be covert 50 years ago. Now it's overt. It is in your face. There is not a single day that goes by that the, almost the majority, the super majority of you think about different ways that the government is impeding your life. From taxes, from, from terrible rules and restrictions, from things that they're trying to do to your family, to your children, to your unborn children. It is in every single area of our lives. The government is, has ascended to the place of God. And just like the last guy that tried to ascend to the place of God, there was a great fall. There is a great fall coming. So the first principle here that I want everybody to get is, and I've said this, a hundred times, and I know sometimes people receive it and sometimes don't, so please hear with the inward ear, not the external ear. But if you think that what's gonna fix our nation is gonna be done by politicians from a voting day, you need prayer. It wasn't politicians that broke this country. It was the enemy. Whose phone's going off? <laughs> Nobody's. It, it wasn't politicians that broke this country. It was the enemy working through politicians. I do not know how to stress this enough. We are not wrestling against the Democrat Party and and communism and socialism, these are just the fruits of what we're wrestling against. We are wrestling against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age. 
wicked spirits that try to exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Something I said when I was at Pastor Rich's church on Sunday, and I think that a lot of people think that I'm picking, and I'm not. I'm really not picking. But there are gods, small g gods, Elohim, that want to rule and reign on this earth. And, and I might have just nuked a bunch of you because your theology isn't deep enough to handle that. But there are small g gods, lots of them, at least 72, who want to rule and reign humanity. And we think that we're dealing with the devil. He's one of them. And then when, I, when I pick on certain subjects, like I, I brought this up, I'm just going to do this real quick and move on because you guys aren't ready for it. But do you know that some of these gods, most of the, well, obviously all these gods have names and they have identities and they have ways that they try to influence humanity. But we know their names. We know the people that have been worshiping them for thousands of years. And in America, we've embraced most of them. How about Aphrodite? Another name for her is Pan, P-A-N. You know, we just went through a pandemic. You know what Aphrodite is? She's the god of sex, pleasure, self-gratification. Every time you engage with one of those processes, you are worshiping Aphrodite. It's not, I don't, I don't get off and harp on the stop fornicating, stop looking at porn, stop, because I'm like, it's what preachers do. Like, we're bored, so we got to pick on something. No, I'm telling you, you have to worship Jesus, because every time you do that, you are literally giving worship to a God that's being empowered by your worship, that then has more authority and rule and reign in our nation. And I know I'm in deep theological waters and I haven't had chance to like really let people understand this whole notion between monotheism and polytheism. And, and I don't, I can't do it today, obviously. But I'm just giving you some examples. Like there's a, there are things that are going on that the election ain't going to fix, y'all. How about this? Dionysius. This is the god of celebration, harvest, parades, entertainment, and wine. There's a God that gets worshipped every time someone gets drunk. There's a God that gets worshipped every time someone sits there for three and four hours and just allows entertainment to flow through them body. Do you know the reason television, tell a vision, tell a vision, has programming, programming, is what Satan wants to do to you, to program you, and you go to a channel, so you can channel a spirit. They literally say it. Like, it's literally overt. <laughs> they tell, and people are just like, well, I've just been watching me some TV. I'm okay. Go right on. Uh, do you know the word entertainment um, I don't want to go there. The, the, 
the point is literally these are actual processes of worship to this God. Those of you, I'm going to do this real quick and move on. You know, anybody ever heard of Artemidas? You know who the God Artemidas is? Pets. Pets. Yep. That's why I can't do it. You know, I can talk about like, stop smoking them cigarettes, you terrible cigarette smoker. But if I pick on one of the other gods, well, hold on now. I like that God. How do you worship a God? Time, money, affection. You hear that quietness? That's why I can't preach it here. I want to keep at least half the church. This, uh, Moloch, you've probably heard of this one for sure, Moloch, which is the god of child sacrifice. It's not just killing babies in the womb that worships him. It's for these groomers to go into the school and sacrifice these children in the school. Sacrifice their minds, sacrifice their bodies, cut off their organs, give them drugs that changes their gender and their identity. That's part of the sacrifice to the god Molech. And you know there's Christians, all these things that I just said right here, and Christians are saying, man, I, that's, just, that's just bad. So anyway, I'm going to vote me for a Republican. Go have me some McDonald's after church. These things cause zero outrage in the average Christian. Zero. They don't care that these other gods are being worshipped. They don't even care that maybe they're doing a little bit of worship of these other gods. Because, I mean, I'm saved, right? I, Jesus is my main God. He's my main man, me and Jesus. And then I got a bunch of other little gods. He's either the God or he's a God. He's either big G God and there is no other God in your life or he's one of the little G gods. And if you don't believe me, Go look at any other religion in the world and they understand that there's all these other ones. Hinduism has a million gods. And depending on what god you worship is the benefit that you get. So these elections that went down, A, elections are not going to bring our country into the revival and the renewal and the awakening that God intends for our country to have. When that happens, it is going to be so supernatural that there isn't going to be a single person that's going to say, I wonder if God was involved with that. If the country gets fixed because all the good conservatives went to the voting booth and checked the box, then the world can say, wow, look at that. All the Republicans actually went out and voted. Good for them. They, they're the ones that positively affected the world. All the glory to the Republicans, way to go. If that doesn't have any effect on our nation, if all the Republicans went and voted, and all the conservatives went and voted, which I believe that most of them did, and nothing changes, and these gods still maintain some kind of control in our nation, and people, God bless them, zombie Ignorant, deceived, self-centered, small G God worshiping people in America that just been going along doop-de-doo 
and then they find out that their little little Johnny comes home from school and says, my teacher says I'm a girl. And by the way, we cut my stuff off the other day at the, at the doctor's office and I need a dress, Dad. Wait, what happened? You did what? Oh, it's totally fine, everything. Wait, what happened? They can't do that, that's illegal. Hello? If there's one thing that we haven't learned in the last two years is they can't do anything they've been doing and they've been doing it. What's going to fix this nation is big G God, big C Christ. His name is Jesus. And it's going to be his hand and a reflection of his nature that's going to fix this country. Now, are we going to participate with that? Yes. Did we do our job? Did we go to the vote? Yes. Have we been praying? Yes. Have we been gathering together as a minority for the first time ever in America? The number of people actually committed to a church is under 50%. For the first time since 1600, since the 1400s in our country, less than 50% of people are committed to a church. You're in less than 3% of Christians if you read the Bible every day. Less than 3%. No wonder little G-gods get to rule this nation without hindrance. Without hindrance. We don't even know what the Bible says. The word of our big G God, we don't even know what, the, what it says. As disheartened and as disappointed as I am that things didn't change, I also have this other side of me, probably a bigger side of me, that's like, good. Good. I'm glad it didn't happen in an election, because if it would have happened in an election, then all the people would have took credit, all the, all the Trumpers, all the all the proponents of, pol of policy and politics and government. And all. If it would have happened that way, we, uh, been, I'd have been okay because better is better whether we got, but I really want God to do it. I really want this thing, this divine thing that nobody can argue and nobody can deny, that was God. That's going to happen. So those of you that are disheartened, disappointed, and you're really yucked out by what you see as you look across the landscape of this world, good. But I'm here to tell you, I'm here to exhort you, I'm here to encourage you, God didn't give up. And I, I now I can say some things, there's things in the spirit that are happening and there's things in the natural. I know about both. There's only so many things I can talk about on YouTube because Ryan's already concerned about me nuking it. But the level of fraud, deception, deceit, trickery, these are all characteristics of the satanic world that took place on Tuesday is literally so broad and so flamboyant that even normies, even zombied, living in the matrix, completely spiritually lost people were like, hold on a minute there, Bucky. Just let me give you something to think about. Florida, who spent the last two years clamping down on everything election, they literally went so far as to create an additional police force to enforce voting laws and find people breaking those laws and literally put them in jail. So Florida did everything 
that they could in two years, and they ain't gone nowhere near as far enough as they need to, but they did everything they could in two years to just tidy up, shore up the elections. And wouldn't you know, Florida had a red wave so big that there were places in Florida that were never blue that went red. Never ever since the history of the state blue that went red. They have a super, 20 out of 28 senators, state house senators are red. 20 out of 28 in Florida, a once considered purple state. That, there's a reason for that. I want you to think about this. Why did one state go in, I mean like deep neon throbbing red and then all these other places like, I don't know what happened. In Pennsylvania, they literally elected a person without a brain to the Senate without a working brain. His brain does not work. And they elected him. In New Jersey, they elected a dead man. A dead man. He'd been dead for 60 days and he won the election like 68 to something. They elected a dead person. Now you can say, well, just, you know, voters sometimes are stupid. I get it. I get it. Voters are stupid. I spend my whole life trying to educate people on how to vote. But that's a little bit beyond just being stupid. You elected a dead person? You elected a person whose brain doesn't work? No. I'm sorry, no. It was unlawful what happened. And there's a bunch of good guys from a bunch of different places that are working behind the scene. Why do you think President Trump started the Space Force? Because we're worried about being invaded by little aliens and flying saucers? Because we're worried about intercontinental missiles flying up into space and dropping nukes on our head? Come on, y'all. One of the reasons that we will never have a nuclear war on this planet is because a nuclear war on this planet ends the planet. Every country knows that. They have nuclear bombs just to say, hey, we got one, so do we. All right, we're done. So they're all useless. It's like two people pointing guns at each other. Okay, tell you what, you put yours down, I'll put mine down. Okay, because this ain't gonna work. <laughs> The space, one of the things the Space Force was to do was on purpose to watch this stuff. Now they have two elections under their belt of data, electronic transmissions of all the stuff that happened. There are already states that have publicly said, hey, look at here. We actually have documented evidence of the fact that other countries were hacking our machines during the election. You, you know what that's called? An act of war. According to our laws in this country, if another country hacks our elections on purpose to manipulate our elections, that's an actual act of war. We could easily be at war right now. But because it's working for the satanic side, well, I mean, you know, stuff and things. Don't, don't look over here at these video cameras that have recorded tens of thousands of people doing illegal, immoral things. I was a poll watcher, y'all. 
I have video on my phone right now of illegal, immoral activities that were taking place in Freeport, Illinois, where no Democrat is ever going to be elected, ever. And they were still cheating. Why? Because wicked people have to do wicked things to serve their wicked masters. They knew. All of these cheaters, all of these liars, all of these fraudulent people knew they were being watched. The National Guard came out and said, we are watching 38 counties two weeks before the election. They knew they were being watched. And they did it anyway. They did it anyway. It is all being recorded. It is all being compiled into what needs to happen in order for us to righteously, justly, remember Bob used the verse, uh, Romans 12, 19, you might could put that up, I think it was 19, um, where it says that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And there's, a, there's another verse that, uh, in Romans 2, and it might even be in Ro- or it's Romans 16, where it says the wrath of man doesn't, uh, doesn't advance the righteousness of God. And in, that, in the Passion Translation, uh, go, do the Passion, because it said it really, uh, really well, where it says that if you go and get your own vengeance, then I can't do what I need to do, says God. If we go out there and we, and we go marching in the streets and we go get our ARs and, and put on our MAGA hats and we go march around and say, give us our country back, then God can't. But if we pray into this, God, we know you've got people working behind the scenes. We know that we've never, there's never been a time where there hasn't been 5,000 that haven't bowed their knee to bail. Right now in our military, in other places of government, in lots of places in the world, you think what's going on in Brazil just so happened to happen? And I know I might be taking a bunch of you somewhere where you don't know, but the exact same thing happened in Brazil. Totally, completely fraudulent election, but Bolsonaro, who was in charge, said, nope, we're going to have the military edit, audit, not edit, audit the election. And within five days, they audited the election, and they're like, okay, so there's some people, we're going to literally hang them in the street. And you watch. You're going to probably not hear about it on mainstream media, but what's going on in Brazil right now is a sweep. The good guys are sweeping through Brazil, getting the bad guys. Why do you think all these people came out so flamboyantly and so publicly against Trump right after the non-red wave? It was so that they could be flushed out so we could find out who the real authentic conservative people were, who really cared about this nation, or the ones that were faking it, trying to ride on Trump's uh, popularity just to get into office so they could go do all their wicked stuff behind the scene. We call them rhinos. I do not like a rhino more than I do not like a leftist. Because a rhino is a leftist, but they're a sheep, they're a wolf in sheep clothing. A wolf in sheep clothing, I hate more than a wolf. If a wolf comes, I shoot him between the eye with my AR that I don't have yet. If a wolf in sheep's clothing comes along, I'm a shepherd. When I see a sheep, I love them, I pet them, I, I cut their wool, I tell them how pretty they are. And then you go down there and you're, I know all the sheep in here are like, yeah, whatever. 
And then you go down there and you're like, you're such a good little sheep. You're such a, ha! And they take your hands off because they're a wolf. That's what's happened to us for all these years. They're like, hey, here we're going to send this great guy down to D.C. And they're going to go do all this great stuff. And they're a Christian. Oh my God, no, they're not. They told you they're a Christian because you wouldn't elect anybody else. You know, Congress is 97% professing Christians. For those of you in the back that didn't hear that, right now, right now, as we sit here, while they're passing legislation for the right to kill babies, on the way of the, uh, while they're being delivered, if that mom says, I don't want this baby, they can literally kill that baby during delivery, legally, because of what some of our legislators are passing laws. They are legally making it okay for a 10-year-old to decide that they don't want to be the gender that they are and can secretly sneak away with the help of a teacher and go get their body parts hacked off. The same legislators that are passing those laws are 97% professing Christians. Now you know why I hate hypocrisy so much. I don't just hate it in the church. I hate it. I hate it. And God sees it. And if we go do the thing in the natural, if we take the arm of our flesh and we go try to fix this world, Jesus can't. If you pray into and live your life in a righteous way and speak the truth in love and change hearts and minds, then more people get woke up, more people get woke up, more people get woke up, and at some point, the tide turns. The mass of people say, hold on a minute. We are not okay with this happening in our county, in our state, in our nation, in our world. When President Obama was in office, he went to, right after they, they legalized gay marriage, he went to a couple of African countries, one of them being Senegal. And when he went, he showed up to Senegal, the first thing, the first thing that he said to the president of Senegal, when are you guys going to embrace same-sex marriage here? The first thing. And the president of Senegal said, your sexual deviancy in America does not influence our politics in Senegal. Amen. Oh. A Senegal president has more Christian than the majority of people sitting in churches on Sunday morning. A politician in another country has more Christianity than an American Christian. As disheartened and as saddened as you are by what happened, let that, let that resolve inspire you to engage even more. Don't let this make you, fine, I, I did my part. I put a Bailey sign in my yard and I, I did my part and it didn't work. Oh, well, God bless you. Thanks for just hanging in there. Thanks for suffering for Jesus. Thanks for really doing the hard thing. Please go read Fox's Book of Martyrs and then come back to me next week and tell me how much you suffered for Jesus. 
There's a lot that needs to happen in our nation. And it's going to be divine. It's not going to be done by government. It's not going to be done by politics. It's not going to be done in a voting booth. It's not going to be done by a shotgun shell. We're not going to have another civil war. We're not going to have a nuclear war. All this stuff that they're doing, they're just trying to rattle your cage to get you off the truth. The Spirit of God on the inside of you should right now be making you angry about what's happening. Now, if you don't channel that anger in the proper way, it will put you in the flesh. And for those of you that struggle with what I just said, that the Spirit of God won't make anybody angry. They make everybody have love and rainbows and butterflies and, and butterfly kisses. No, the Spirit of God makes people angry. Go read 1 Kings 18, 13, 18. Uh, 18, where Samuel, where uh, a Philistine leader came to uh, Gilead, Jabesh Gilead, and he said, I'm going to kill this. And it was an outlier country. And he said, I'm going to kill everyone in here. I'm going to take over this place because you're so far removed from your government forces. And I'm going uh, uh, to mutilate you. I'm going to cut out your right eyes. I'm going to do all these terrible things to you because there's no way that this country is going to come and save you. And then Saul heard about it. He went to, the, to go see the city to see if it was true. And before he got to the city, he heard the wailing and the crying of the people. And he said, what is this? And they told him what had happened. And it said that the Spirit of God came on. I need to find this because I think that some people don't believe. First Samuel 11. Sorry, Hannah was, she was desperately searching. 18. First Samuel 11. And I'll, I'll just say it in verse 5. Just then Saul was returning from the field behind his oxen and said, What troubles the people? asked Saul. Why are they weeping? And they relayed to him the words of the men of Jabesh. These are the people that were going to be slaughtered. And when Saul, verse 6, when Saul heard the words, the Spirit of God. This is the Bible. The Spirit of God came on him, and his anger was kindled greatly. Now hold on, if the Spirit of God comes on you, then you're going to have goosebumps, and love is going to flow from you, like a Care Bear stare. Boom. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Here I was preaching, and then... Went back into my cartoon days. The Spirit of God came on him and he got angry. And then he did something about it. Some of you, A, have never been angry. You've been disheartened, been disappointed, like, I can't believe they're doing that. You, that ain't anger. That's acceptance. You're accepting it. You're letting it happen. The Spirit of God made him angry. If you get angry in the flesh, you're wrong. If you don't get angry, you're wrong. If the Spirit of God comes on you and makes you angry, you're right. Because the Spirit of God is going to help you deal some, do something with that anger that is just, that is righteous, and that's going to have effect. And I, I gotta, I've traveled the nation in the last two years, and there just is not very many angry Christians. Angry in a good way. 
godly anger. And that's why they're getting away with what they're getting away with. I was, I was verbally assaulted as a poll watcher. I was threatened as a poll watcher. The other side is so angry and so engaged and so willing that they were literally willing to break the law and potentially go to jail to assault me, a poll watcher. What they did was illegal, but they didn't care. They were willing to go to jail for what they believe in. I don't know 20 Christians who'd be willing to go to jail for believing in what the Bible says. There are, some, there are some really good people, really godly people that are working behind the scenes to make some things right. And I'm telling you, wait on the Lord. Keep your powder dry. Have your emotions line up with what the Spirit of God is having to do with your emotions. And watch and see the salvation of the Lord come to the nation that he loves. You want to talk about politics? <laughs> I think I'm good. I'm good. Okay. Thank you, Cindy. Cindy. These are some questions that came in anonymously. First one is Doc Ryan said last week, which, by the way, you get to be with all my favorite people in the world, Pastor Bob and Doc Ryan, and I'm just with Kay. <laughs> This church can't take a joke for nothing. <laughs> there is nobody that I'd rather be with than Kay. I'd leave all y'all for her in a minute. She said, leave them for me. I'd have to talk to Jesus, but... Uh, when Doc Ryan was here, he said about 25 minutes into the message, and so you can go look at it if you don't remember the spot, but he said um, the reason that there's so much angst, and I'm paraphrasing, the reason there's so much angst or, or issues going on, on the inside of us is because we're living in a world that we were not created to live in. And, and a statement like that is one of those like, you drop a bomb and you drive away, watch the mushroom cloud. And I do this a lot too. And so somebody had asked like, wait a minute, we weren't created to live here? Yeah. You weren't. Humanity was created for the garden. If you hadn't noticed, look around. This ain't that. God didn't, God didn't desire or intend for us to be affected by curse, death, pain. He didn't create humanity so that they can go experience 6,000 years of pain and then he could come in and rescue us. He doesn't do what the American church does, which is convince everybody there's a problem and then collect money to solve the problem that they just convinced everybody that there was. That's why we got eight food pantries in Stevenson County and the number of people who are actually hungry in Stevenson County, you can go look it up on, on website, the number of people actually hungry in Stevenson County is 0.0003%. And we have eight food pantries that get an average of about a million dollars a year to feed 0.00. I could feed them myself with leftovers and I wouldn't have to work out so much. God didn't do that. 
He didn't create a problem, throw us into the problem and said, hey, you need to look for me for the solution because I'm the big God up here in heaven. You need to worship me. He's not insecure. He doesn't need, he doesn't need to create ways to creatively figure out how to make you love him or make you like him or, or be uh, beholden to him. He, he's not, he, this was not a mess of his making. This was a mess of our making. You know how many people make their own mess and then blame somebody? Well, if it wasn't for Pastor Steve preaching the thing, then I wouldn't be in this problem. Really? Amazing. You know, the church hurt me. Really? The church hurt you. So you were walking into a church one day and the front door just hinged out and whacked you across the face, broke your jaw, like, oh, church hurt. No, you got hurt by some stupid person in a church. And then you blame Jesus for everything and you're never going to go back. And these are the same people that get hurt at Walmart all the time. I get offended at Walmart. I don't even walk in. You walk in the parking lot and all these gals in their moo-moos. <laughs> no, you're not going to hide. I figured out this word. I heard another preacher use the word moo-moo. I'm like, baby, what's a moo-moo? She said, the stretchy pants. I'm like, <gasps> No, that's not a moo-moo. In Hawaii, the big... Dresses that are loose and come on. All these women in their moo moos. <laughs> making their moo almost burst at the seams. I'm offended in the parking lot. I still go to Walmart. Why? Because they need soup. <laughs> if this was a bad church, I'd go. Why? Because I'm here for Jesus. I get it. There's people in here that need Jesus. So do you. (laughs) To say your church hurt and never go to church again just tells you how committed you are to Christ. I can quit. I don't have to go. I'm tired. You know, if you don't go to church because you're tired, I'm not going to go. We were not created to live in this world. We were created in the garden for the garden, and we had... We had a dual purpose. We were the high priests of the first temple, which was the garden, and our responsibility was to guard and keep the garden and to be fruitful, multiply, and expand the garden. So we had a defensive responsibility and an offensive responsibility and failed them both. And so all of the pain and misery that humanity suffers right now, it's because we failed at the very simple things that God asked us to do. So you weren't built for this world. That's why it hurts. If if you haven't experienced hurt in your life, come lay hands on me. This, This life hurts. There's pain. Your heart aches. When you see terrible, wicked, dark things, you should be, it should cause a legitimate amount of disgust and and pain and and resonance on the inside of you. One of the things that will stop you from putting your hand on the hot stove twice is the pain from the first one. God didn't want you to get hurt. God didn't ordain for you to get hurt. But God is so amazing that he can take the hurt and show you how to not get hurt and rescue other people in their hurt at the same time. And sometimes God's so good at it 
that you often think God must have orchestrated the hurt because look how awesome this turned out for me. Kay and I have the greatest marriage on the planet. One of the reasons for that is because our marriage has been redeemed. You know why it was redeemed? Because Steve was a fool, a failure, a covenant breaker, an adulterer, a manipulator, or whatever you got, throw them at me. I'll take them all. Because I was that. I was in a spiritual coma. I was a jerk. I was a bad father. I was a bad husband. I was a bad son. I was everything. And God redeemed it. And one of the things that makes it so awesome right now is because it's redeemed, I know what I have. I know what I almost lost. Redeemed relationships are way oftentimes better than relationships. The enemy brings the pain into that relationship to cause the divorce. But God can use the pain in that relationship to bring redemption and make it better than it was before. And most people are not mature enough to push through the pain to get to the redemption. And they never experience what I just talked about. Never experience it. This is why I pursue some of you when you get mad at me. And I get all up in your crawl and I'm like, hey, you need to like me. No, I don't. I hate you. Hey, you should like me. No, I'm not going to like When you do end up liking me in Jesus' name, that redeemed relationship that you and I have, will be a billion times better than the one we had before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had some of the same thoughts you did, but I um, also went to Jeremiah 1.5, if you can put that up, Hannah. So God said, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before... You came forth out of the womb, I sanctified you, and I ordained you a prophet unto the nations. So if God formed me, before I formed, God formed us tangibly, physically, he knew us. So if we existed before we existed in the womb, then what were we created for? So that was, that was just one of the, the scriptures that God gave me. Like, he knew us before he formed us in the womb. We are created before we had a physical existence on this planet. And so it just makes sense what Doc Ryan said, that we weren't created for this world. If we were, we were created, God created us before we were in it, and obviously we, we were not created to be in it. Did I say that right? Um, and so it just there's so many you know going back to Adam and Eve in the garden and going back to the scriptures there's just so many uh, scriptures that just show us that we were not created for this world and also um, I don't have a scripture reference Steve probably totally does Um, but if this this world is going to come to an end why would he create us for something that's going to end We, we are eternal. And the world that we're going to is eternal as well. 
but you're asseted, you have assets, heavenly assets for this time. Because this is an, a core doctrine for me, this is one of the reasons that I probably don't get caught up in some of the stuff that other people get caught up and get irritated or offended or upset or emotionally wheels off about different situations that other people are because I know that if I'm in this situation, I, it, God has already previously, past tense, given me the assets to deal with this situation. And so my, my passion needs to be turned inward to figure out how to get that asset that God already previously gave me for this time to deal with it. You will never get into a situation, a problem, a circumstance, an issue that God didn't already give you abundant assets to come out on the winning side of. If, if that is true, then God is unfair. If I, if I give... Uh, if I give my daughter, um, if I give her a problem, like, Hannah, go change the alternator in my truck. And I don't give her tools, and I don't give her an alternator, and I don't let her have YouTube to figure out how to do it. <laughs> and then I get mad when she fails. You know, a lot of people think God's that way. Why? God put me in this problem and I tried to get through it. I couldn't get through it. I didn't, and then I failed. So God, dear Jesus, if I, as an evil father, this is what the scriptures say, if I, as an evil father, would give my daughter the assets to accomplish what I asked her to do, how much more would your father in heaven give you the assets that you need, specifically the Holy Spirit? If you don't think you got the assets, A, I would say you don't understand this core context of God creating you, and B, you don't understand you got the Holy Spirit. <laughs> if God is for you, who can be against you? Amen. Good job. Uh, the next question is, if we are not supposed to use the word feel, four-letter F word, then how do we talk? <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, it's rough. Because this is, this is the common way for people in this world to operate, is to operate on feel and to use language associated to feel. I love that, I hate that. I feel this way, I feel that way. I'm going to make this decision because I feel like this. So I'm just going to give you, first I'm going to give you the one positive reference to feel in the scriptures. This is in Acts chapter 17, Hannah. And in verse, this is Paul preaching here. And he's literally preaching, just to go back to a previous conversation, he's literally preaching to people who have so many idols and so many gods that he's trying to help them figure out the right God. They had so many gods that one of them was to an unknown God. And I know that we see stuff like that and we think like, well, these people were stupid with their idols to the unknown God. Really? 
Remember what I just said about little g-gods? At least they acknowledged the fact that they knew there was all these little g-gods and they were trying to do their best to figure out how to have life knowing that there were all these other Elohims. I just messed it up. I didn't want to use that term. Uh, verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven. So he's telling them which is the real God, the big G God, and earth and does not live in temples made by human hands. The part where he lives on the inside of you is not made by your mama in the womb. Nor is he served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. What a good God. What a good God to give a bunch of people that me and you don't like very much. At least I'm being honest. I don't know about you. Because uh, I'd say, no, no breath for you, jerk. God gives them an opportunity. He sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. Verse 26, from one man he made every nation of men. That should stop your racism forever. If you're a racist, you don't believe the Bible. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their lands. That's a reference to Genesis chapter 11 and Genesis chapter 10, which talks about the table of nations. Verse 27, God intended that they would seek him and perhaps reach out, put it in the King James, oh, it says it in the King James, and, per, and happily they might feel after him. Feel. This is the only positive place that I've found in the scriptures for feeling in the New Testament that used in a, in, a God, in a good way. So what are your feelings supposed to do? Point you towards God. If they don't, then you should ignore them. If they're pointing you towards something else, they're wrong. So if you use the word feel in a biblical context, I'm okay with that, but most people don't. And so I'm trying to correct something that's been so bad for so long by saying that a four-letter F word, feel, is something that we need to get out of our vocabulary. Some of the ways that in the scripture that, that people talk about being led, and we'll just go, I mean, the biggest one, John chapter 10, where Jesus said that, my sheep hear my voice. He doesn't say, my sheep feel my impressions. You, you, there's a voice on the inside of you. It's not a feeling. It's a voice. It's talking to you. The enemy talks to you too. Usually the way he talks is in feelings. The way God talks is in his scripture. This is why a lot of people don't know the voice of God because they don't know the scriptures. And God's going to talk in the scriptures. It's just how he talks. It's the way he talks. Yeah, um, and it's just... Another thing where I'm thinking like of love, how we just throw that word around and we don't really know what it means. And feel is the same thing. We just throw that word around 
and we don't know what, how God defines that word. And so it's just another instance where we have to be more purposeful about understanding God's definition of things and how we use that when we communicate. Um, in Hannah, can you go to Ephesians 4.17? I want to I share uh, uh, two different scriptures um, on how um, feelings are, I don't know, Steve might not like this either, but feelings are important <laughs> um, in the context of using them appropriately, and when you don't, what can happen? Um, so I'm going to go all the way through 19. So um, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. And in this context, this is negative who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all unclean, uncleanness with greediness. Sometimes a King James gets you. Um, and that word, when that being past feeling, is, is to cease to feel pain for, to become callous, insensible to, insensible to pain, apathetic. Um, and this last part kind of got me. So those who have become insensible to truth and honor and shame are called dispirited and useless for war. I thought that was very interesting. I have never read that before. That when we allow ourselves to get to that point where we, we have no compassion, that we become insensible and sensitive to people's pain and apathetic, that it it become we become useless to be able to to fight for the things that are righteous, um, and I just it's just so clearly in in these three passages of scripture how God feels about not feeling when in the proper way that it it creates. <clears throat> some very ungodly negative things in our lives. So feelings are not a bad thing, but they have to be um, used in the right way, in the right context, which is why I want to go to Hebrews 4.15, please. Um, I'm sorry. Did, can we go to 14? I'm sorry. <laughs> My bad. Seeing Amen. then that we have a great high priest that is passed unto the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. So let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So in verse 15, this is, this is our example of Jesus showing us how feelings are supposed to be used. 
that they're supposed to be used as a, as a door to compassion for others. That through godly feelings, we can sympathize with people who are going through a hard time, sympathize with people who are struggling. Um, uh, praise God that Jesus had that compassion on us, that he loved us, that he walked among us and saw what we were going through and had compassion and was touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Jesus was touched by that, and it motivated him to go to the cross. It motivated him to minister to the people that he ran across because it touched him. And so there is a godly way that feeling should be used. We should be having compassion for people that are struggling around us, in our church family, in the communities around us. Um, it's just feelings used in a God way are a great motivator to change things around you and to go minister to the people around you. So. Those verses that Kate referenced out of Ephesians 4, um, those are some of the core verses of my life. There's actually, I have some life verses that are in there. And Andrew, it's such a big deal to Andrew. He actually studied for, I think he said for a year, he studied those six verses in Ephesians 4. That was the only thing that he studied for a year of his life or verses connected to him because there's such depth and application in those six verses. The King James obviously is very, very antiquated, as, as Cade expressed. But the word lascivious is a word that most of us don't even use anymore. The word lascivious literally means that your emotions are past the point of being restrained. Now think about some of the things that you've been in or you've heard people say. Well, I couldn't help myself. I had to do it. You know what that means? Their emotions. The enemy used their emotions so well that he put them into sin through emotion. Emotion was the vehicle that the enemy used to get you into his trap. You cannot think of a single sin that you have ever committed that there isn't some kind of an emotion attached to it. Because that is the avenue the enemy has to use in your life. Let me read just verse 19 and a couple other translations. The New Living Translation says, they have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. That's you without the Holy Spirit. The ESV says they become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. The Amplified is good on this word. And, and they, the ungodly, in their spiritual apathy, having become callous and unfeeling, have given themselves over as prey to unbridled sensuality, eagerly craving the practice of every kind of impurity that their desires may demand. 
This is the tactic of the enemy is to get you by your emotions. He grabs you by your emotions and he says, now cry for me. Now be angry for me. Now lash out for me. Now be hurt for me. And he's hanging on to that emotion. You're like, oh, okay, I'll do it because it hurts. And it turns you so inward focused into yourself. Yeah, it is. It just, it, emotions make you like focus on yourself and how you are feeling. And it, it's a great tool the enemy uses to make us look at ourselves. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, I, you're making me. We, there's, a, there's a lot to talk about that. Please get the book on, uh, on harnessing your emotions. That is what the Holy Spirit does in your life. The Holy Spirit reigns all that in. A spirit-led life it doesn't mean you're emotionless. It means your emotions are redeemed. Yeah. You love what God loves. You hate what God hates. You're passionate about what God's passionate about. You're sad by what makes God sad. You're happy by what makes God happy. Your emotions are redeemed. They're godly. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He doesn't just come to make you holy. The word holy means to separate from for the use of. So God doesn't just separate us out of the Lord. This is why holiness has been misinterpreted in some denominations. They think it just means to separate yourself from the world. No, that's the first half of the word. It means to separate from the world, but unto God for his special use. To be specially used by God. But first he has to pull you out of the dirt to make you specially usable by him. All right, the last question that we'll cover today is, this is out of Romans chapter 8. And I'm not going to preach on the whole chapter. Uh, verse 23 specifically, and it says that we have the first fruits of the Spirit. And I will tell you this, that Doc Ryan has done tons of stuff on first fruits. And so please go uh, check out his website and or there might be some of the stuff on his Expedition 44 YouTube. But first fruits are a really, really, really important doctrine in the Old Testament that I wish everybody had a revelation of. First fruits means the first and the best. That's what you should be giving to God. If you have to tithe, I'm okay with that. What you really should be doing is first fruits. You give the first and you give the best. Kay doesn't just want me to be a husband. She wants me to be her husband and be doing it the best. I don't give her just because I have to. Well, I got to keep my vows. I guess I better. And so the first fruits of the Spirit is the first and the best. God gave us the first and the best of what the Holy Spirit is in the new birth. They didn't have it in the Old Testament. <clears throat> if you, if you want to know what that looks like, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I'm just going to read the first five verses. Uh, can you put it up in the ESV, please, Hannah? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 through 5 in the ESV. This is specifically talking about the first fruits of the Spirit. 
For we know that if the tent, that is our earthly home, is destroyed, your body. Notice that it's called a tent on purpose. It's temporary. If you didn't know that, look in the mirror and look at a picture of your high school picture. <laughs> or for you young people, baby pictures? I, I don't know. <laughs> Nobody likes you young people with your bodies that are all right and your skin that's all tight. And <sighs> for, we know, for we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands. Man, that's shouting right there. There's something that you have that's not made by hands, which means hands can't destroy it. Amen. Eternal in the heavens. Heavens means spiritual realm, verse 2. For in this tent we groan. Anybody? Yep, this thing right here <laughs> makes some of us groan more than others. I've heard some of you get up. <laughs> Dear Lord, what just happened? I stood up. You groan because it's a tent. Longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. So every time from now on when you get up and you groan, thank God for heaven. <laughs> Verse 3. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. Now, I, don't, I don't have time to go there, but there, God wants you to be clothed, but he wants you to be clothed with the body that he intended for you to have. This isn't the one he intended for you to have. All the women in the room say amen. This, really? Uh, that, all five of them. Uh, Hey, guys, this isn't the body that God intended for you to have. Amen. Thank you. All the women were sleeping. You say the word naked, they're all like... <laughs> From the heart, the mouth speaks... Those are those words when they leave your lips, you're like, no! <laughs> if indeed by putting it on our heavenly body, we may not be found naked. Verse 4, please. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Mortal should be swallowed up by immortality. Verse 5, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as the guarantee. The Spirit of God is the first fruits of the fact that God has all of these eternal plans for you that include an eternal body. Part of the first fruit of the Spirit living in your life is you get, to, you get to experience the best right here, right now, until the rest comes. If you're not enjoying and experiencing the Spirit in that way, then you haven't experienced it in the way that God intended for you to experience it. Nope. I actually believe the Holy Spirit told me today you had that question and I didn't mean to. 
you were going to say exactly she was what needed to be said. The first fruit of the Spirit talking so. to her. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of His life-changing Word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.